Chapter Three of Myths and Legends of All Nations. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Elizabeth Clett. Myths and Legends of All Nations by Logan Marshall. Chapter Three, Deucalion and Pyrrha. While the men of the age of bronze still dwelt upon the earth, reports of their wickedness were carried to Jupiter. The god decided to verify the reports by coming to earth himself in the form of a man, and everywhere he went he found that the reports were much milder than the truth. One evening in the late twilight he entered the inhospitable shelter of the Arcadian king Lycaon, who was famed for his wild conduct. By several signs he let it be known that he was a god. And the crowd dropped to their knees, but Lycaon made light of the pious prayers. Let us see, he said, whether he is a mortal or a god. Thereupon he decided to destroy the guest that night while he lay in slumber, not expecting death. But before doing so, he killed a poor hostage whom the Molossians had sent to him, cooked the half living limbs in boiling water, or broiled them over a fire. And placed them on the table before the guest for his evening meal. But Jupiter, who knew all this, left the table and sent a raging fire over the castle of the godless man. Frightened, the king fled into the open field. The first cry he uttered was a howl. His garments changed to fur, his arms to legs, he was transformed into a bloodthirsty wolf. Jupiter returned to Olympus. Held counsel with the gods and decided to destroy the reckless race of men. At first, he wanted to turn his lightnings over all the earth, but the fear that the ether would take fire and destroy the axle of the universe restrained him. He laid aside the thunderbolt which the cyclops had fashioned for him and decided to send rain from heaven over all the earth and so destroy the race of mortals. Immediately, the north wind and all the other cloud-scattering winds were locked in the cave of Aeolus. And only the south wind sent out. The latter descended upon the earth. His frightful face was covered with darkness. His beard was heavy with clouds. From his white hair ran the flood. Mists lay upon his brow. From his bosom dropped the water. The south wind grasped the heavens, seized in his hands the surrounding clouds, and began to squeeze them. The thunder rolled. Floods of rain burst from the heavens. The standing corn was bent to the earth. Destroyed was the hope of the farmer. Destroyed the weary work of a whole year. Even Neptune, god of the sea, came to the assistance of his brother Jupiter in the work of destruction. He called all the rivers together and said, "Give full rein to your torrents. Enter houses. Break through all dams." They followed his command, and Neptune himself struck the earth with his trident and let the flood enter. Then the waters streamed over the open meadows, covered the fields, dislodged trees, temples, and houses. Wherever a palace stood, its gables were soon covered with water, and the highest turrets were hidden in the torrent. Sea and earth were no longer divided; all was flood, an unbroken stretch of water. Men tried to save themselves as best they could. Some climbed the high mountains; others entered boats and rowed. Now over the roofs of the fallen houses. Now over the hills of their ruined vineyards, fish swam among the branches of the highest trees. The wild boar was caught in the flood. People were swept away by the water, and those whom the flood spared died of hunger on the barren mountains. 
One high mountain in the country of Phocis still raised two peaks above the surrounding waters. It was the great Mount Parnassus. Toward this floated a boat containing Deucalion, the son of Prometheus, and his wife Pyrrha. No man, no woman, had ever been found who surpassed these in righteousness and piety. When, therefore, Jupiter, looking down from heaven upon the earth, saw that only a single pair of mortals remained of the many thousand times a thousand, both blameless, both devoted servants of the gods, he sent forth the north wind, recalled the clouds, and once again separated the earth from the heavens, and the heavens from the earth. Even Neptune, lord of the sea, laid down his trident and calmed the flood. The ocean resumed its banks, the rivers returned to their beds. Forests stretched their slime-covered tree-tops out of the deep. Hills followed. Finally stretches of level land appeared, and the earth was as before. Deucalion looked around him. The country was laid waste. It was wrapped in the silence of the grave. Tears rolled down his cheeks, and he said to his wife Pyrrha, Beloved, solitary companion of my life, as far as I can see through all the surrounding country, I can discover no living creature. We, too, must people the earth. All the rest have been drowned by the flood. But even we are not yet certain of our lives. Every cloud that I see strikes terror to my soul. And even if danger is past, what shall we do alone on the forsaken earth? Oh, that my father Prometheus had taught me the art of creating men, and breathing life into them! Then the two began to weep. They threw themselves on their knees before the half-destroyed altar of the goddess Themis, and began to pray, saying, Tell us, O oh goddess, by what means we can replace the race that has disappeared. Oh, help the earth to new life! Leave my altar, sounded the voice of the goddess. Uncover your heads. Ungird your garments, and cast the bones of your mother behind you. For a long time Deucalion and Pyrrha wondered over the puzzling words of the goddess. Pyrrha was the first to break the silence. "'Pardon me, O noble goddess,' she said, "'if I do not obey you, and cannot consent to scatter the bones of my mother.' Then Deucalion had a happy thought. He comforted his wife. "'Either my reason deceives me,' he said, "'or the command of the goddess is good.' and involves no impiety. The great mother of all of us is the earth, her bones are the stones, and these, Pierre, we will cast behind us. Both mistrusted this interpretation of the words, but what harm would it do to try? Thereupon they uncovered their heads, ungirded their garments, and began casting stones behind them. Then a wonderful thing happened. The stone began to lose its hardness, became malleable, grew and took form, not definite at once, but rude figures such as an artist first hews out of the rough marble. Whatever was moist or earthy in the stones was changed into flesh. The harder parts became bones, the veins in the rock remained as veins in the bodies. Thus, in a little while, with the aid of the gods, the stones which Deucalion threw assumed the form of men, those which Pyrrha threw the form of women. This homely origin the race of men does not deny. They are a hardy people, accustomed to work. Every moment of the day they remember from what sturdy rock they have sprung. End of chapter 3